The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Welcome back to the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum. We are your analysis team here for SB Nation's New York Giants blog. Today's episode, we are recapping and reviewing the tape on Monday after watching back again to see some of the various trends from the Giants' second win of the season over the Washington football team. This is a tale of two halves for the Giants. As they started out strong, they took advantage of some lucky opportunities, but also played some very good defense, made some strong offensive plays, had some creative offensive play calls in that first half, to then playing overly conservative to a point where they were just not scoring at all in the second half. We are going to address all of those various bits and pieces, everything that maybe you might have missed and that you couldn't see because you didn't have the opportunity to go back and watch the game, what it means for the Giants now, as well as going forward for the future. Chris, I I want to address what I already set up here, that in the first half, we saw a completely different Giants team. We saw a Giants team that that was similar and reminiscent of other first half Giants teams where they force turnovers, they make good special teams plays, particularly that fumble recovery. They were somewhat productive on offense. They scored two offensive touchdowns. A lot of stuff that made it seem like they were going to score 40 points because they had 20 points at halftime. They then completely slowed down in the second half, only scoring three. And a lot of that comes from the fact that they were playing not to lose. They started the game playing with 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 a reckless abandonment because this is a team that has nothing to lose. That they've lost three straight close games, games that they were winning at halftime. They had nothing to lose. They just wanted to go out there and take that step forward, take it week by week. And then for some reason, and I honestly put a little bit of onus on 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 the coaching staff here for being so conservative in not trying to blow that lead that they almost let Washington back into the game. That is something that Joe Judge and Jason Garrett and Patrick Graham cannot let happen. They need to put their foot on the gas, keep driving, 
and put an opponent into the ground. That is a problem that we've seen so far this year. And I think that they can fix that, but it's something that needs to be fixed. Yeah, the the Giants really almost did to themselves what other teams have done to the Giants in the past, where it seems like they have the game won at halftime and then go into their four-minute close-out-the-game offense at the start of the third quarter. The Giants really were playing to not lose. And quite frankly, they do not have the team to do that. They are not just a piece away. They are several pieces away from being able to coast after establishing a halftime lead. They very much are still a team that needs to stick the dagger. They need to keep their foot on the gas, not let up, not give opposing teams the chance to come back. Because if the Giants make a mistake, they really don't have the roster to overcome that mistake. This week, that is almost what happened. You know, the Washington made a bunch of mistakes early, and they didn't quite have enough guys to overcome them. But the Giants let them hang around and gave them every opportunity to overcome those mistakes in the second half. Right. When your opponent is making egregious errors like Washington did within the first 10 minutes of this football game and then also in the first half, when an opponent does things like this, you have to keep moving forward. You have to finish off your opponent. This is a fight that lasts four quarters. You can't mail it in in the second half. And a little bit goes on the coaching staff for not establishing uh, the the right perspective for the for the for your team. There needs to be a mentality by the guys on the field that they're going to go out there and blow out the opponent that is clearly not ready to play. Instead, they mailed it in at halftime. Some of that goes on the coaching staff. Some of that also can go on the players. Maybe thinking that they didn't have to give a, a, a full effort. And I'm not saying that they weren't trying, but sometimes in football games, if you're beating an opponent badly to start a game, you might mentally start to think to yourself, like, oh, these guys aren't ready to play. They're not here. And then you start to just slowly over time each play, not going 100% without even realizing that you're doing it. That is something that needs to be completely worked out of this team's head. That is a a trend for losing football teams to do things like that. It it really is. Uh, The Giants were really kind of lucky that Washington lost this game because the way things were going in the second half, it really looked like Washington was going to make that 17-18 point comeback, drive down the field at the end of the game, and either tie or score the go-ahead touchdown. So I would like to open up now talking about some of our offensive takeaways. And the number one that really popped off watching this game a second time was the impact that Austin Mack had. A guy that unexpectedly stepped up to the occasion despite being an undrafted player with limited expectations, primarily playing on the practice squad for most of this year. He stepped up for a a very good game of four receptions for 72 yards, almost had a touchdown. And right now the Giants are dealing with unnecessary drama from Golden Tate, a guy that is clearly upset and bringing negative attention to this team. Joe Judge has handled that very, very well, not allowing it to consume the attention of the uh, attention of the team. Instead, he's letting the media do whatever they want with it, and he's trying to focus on the direction of this team. So you have a guy that doesn't, it, it, you know, is so focused on himself 
Austin Mack then uses that opportunity to step up. And I say that because Austin Mack has done a, a great job in this game, he deserves more snaps going forward. If I really, I'm upset with Golden Tate. I think that what Golden Tate has done has proven that he doesn't deserve to be getting the reps that Austin Mack, I think, has proven he now deserves for the, for the remainder of this year. I want to see what he can do. I want to see him as a young receiver stepping in, stepping up, and see if he can turn himself into the fourth receiver on this roster after this upcoming offseason. I think he has that potential, and we saw some flashes of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, five targets, four receptions. He had that big 50-yard catch. Austin Mack looked good. He looked like a guy who deserves to be on the field with an offense. I don't know if that's as a starting receiver, maybe the flanker if you're playing the an 11 personnel, or as you say, a fourth receiver, a guy you rotate onto the field in certain uh, packages, he looks like he deserves more chances going forward. And let's be honest, Golden Tate is not going to be on this team next year. He's going to get cut in the offseason. So you know what? Get Austin Mack out there. Let him supplant Golden Tate. And if Tate doesn't like that, well, uh, tough. We can't say this for certain, but it certainly feels like Golden Tate tried to force his way in off the team. He tried to force a trade. You know, maybe he was hoping that if he caused a fuss while showing a little bit of value, the Giants would trade him to the Packers or to the Chiefs or you know, some team that is headed to the playoffs. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, he got to stay in New Jersey, and he very well might have lost his job in this offense. Yeah, and you, you're you literally getting nothing from Golden Tate. He's not going to be on this team next year. I can pretty much guarantee that. He provides no value. He doesn't want to be here. He thinks that he's not getting the touches that he deserves, even though you clearly go back and watch last game, him swinging his arms in the air and complaining on the field that he's not getting the ball when he clearly was not open, which is even more obnoxious from a guy that is supposed to be a veteran leader. But what we see from Austin Mack, is a lot of very good contested catches. He had a, a really good contested ball for a first down. The one that I point to as a really good play was the double move that he used to get open for a big gain. And then lastly, he almost had that touchdown that got called short of the goal line where he caught a screen and powered through contact. That's that's stuff that you really want from a, uh, your fourth receiver on the roster. I really think that this... Giants team is probably going to draft a receiver in the first three rounds, maybe make an active move to sign a free agent. So then things are rounded out with Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. You'll have somebody step in at that third spot, possibly, you know, like a Jalen Waddle or a Rondell Moore. That then leaves things open for Austin Mack to be that fourth possession type receiver. We don't know that for sure yet. But I want to be able to see that for the rest of the season. I think the coaching staff needs to give Mac that chance to prove himself after such a good game this week. Chris, I also want to talk about the offensive line and the running game. They had a very, very good job, or they did a very good job of establishing the run. Wayne Gallman had a lot of very good runs, a lot of dive plays right up the middle. He scored a touchdown aggressive hard running and then of all people Alfred Morris has a productive day running outside the tackles because somehow it's 2013 and he and he has this tremendous contact balance that I don't think any of us thought he had yeah you know I 
I am a fan of Wayne Gallman's running. I have been since Clemson, really. He is just a no-nonsense, straight-ahead runner. Uh, he hits the holes between the tackles very fast. He's got enough vision, enough start and stop acceleration to time up when he hits the holes to set up his blocks, and he is always falling forward. You know, Yes, he's a guy who can get shoelace tackled maybe a little bit too easily, but he's still going to fall forward to pick up an extra yard, yard and a half, you know, whatever, finish his runs. And those add up. And he, he has the burst to get downhill and give this offense just that quick punch. It has really lacked, you know, even with Saquon Barkley in the backfield, as great and athletic as he is, he spends a lot of time in the backfield. He is not much of a quick hitting running back. Gallman is, and I think you can see the difference with him on the field. And Alfred Morris, you know, he does still have really good contact balance. There were more than a few runs outside, which stick a pin in that word, where a Washington defender would have a clear shot on him for either a tackle for loss or no gain. And he would just bounce off the tackle and pick up another five yards, six yards, whatever. So he's got really good vision. He's got, he still has that good contact balance and that's enough to make up for, for the fact that he runs about as fast as a fire hydrant. Right. He's on the wrong side of 30. He has no acceleration. He has not not a lot of burst for a running back. There's certainly a lot of more explosive younger running backs that are currently available. Instead, they decided to go with old old reliable out there who's just going to pick up those those yards that are handed to him and then somehow still maintain that contact balance. It's almost like the past few years having having such limited touches has kept him more spry than the typical 30-year-old running back. So Alfred Morris, for some reason, throwing back to the old you know, 2013-2014 seasons where he used to be you know, pretty dominant. He didn't have a dominant game, but we saw a couple flashes of what the old Alfred Morris used to look like. Uh, used to look like. And Chris, I just also want to throw in here that the offensive line, which we already praised on the Quick Take show, uh, did a very good job, I think, of the running game. They really established the run. They set the tone up front. They got some good push against a defensive line that is particularly dominant, especially at the defensive tackle position. Yes. the This was, I think, one of the Giants' best running performances in recent years. You know, I, I said that in my stats post today. Uh, Ed challenged me on it based on Saquon Barkley's production, You know the way he is able to rack up yards on explosive runs but this was a just consistent performance from the Giants running game it has been a long time since almost every run every time a Giants quarterback handed the ball off it was a successful run where it was picking up a significant portion of the yards to convert and that is just something we have not been accustomed to seeing from the Giants and it didn't really matter which running back was carrying it. Well, as long as that running back wasn't Deion Lewis. The offensive line was doing a good enough job, you know, getting a decent push, opening up in big enough holes for the running backs to get positive yardage, finish their runs. And also, watching the tape, there was a very clear tendency in how the Giants used their running backs that somehow Washington never seemed to pick up on. 
Wayne Gallman had no carries off tackle. All of his carries were between the tackles, either through the A gap, through the B gap, which fits his game perfectly. You know, that one cut straight ahead downhill runner. Morris, on the other hand, he was running to the right consistently and running outside zone consistently. I also noticed that those snaps where we saw Matt Peart at right tackle, those were also Alfred Morris snaps. So I think the Giants wanted the more athletic tackle at right tackle for those outside zone runs because Cam Fleming might be an okay starter, a mostly reliable backup, but Matt Peart just has so much more quickness out of his stance to get position to be able to stress defenses laterally that it just worked for the for those runs now I don't know if that's something the Giants will be able to use in the coming weeks because other defenses are going to be able to get get a look at tape as well and I have no shame in saying those defensive coordinators are smarter than I am we could well see that trick not work but it was interesting to see this game. We are going to transition to talking about some of the defensive points, some things that we noticed defensively. That is going to be coming up very shortly. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or two million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Chris, I I know that we say this pretty much every single week. It seems like every week we find a way to bring up the lack of a a consistent pass rush and a quick pass rush. And it just so happens this week, as as you've pointed out from the notes that we put together, 4.7 seconds was the fastest sack in this game. So we're going to go a little bit further in this one. One thing that I noticed from what worked so well for Washington and why they were able to pop offensively in the second half was because of 
how Patrick Graham was scheming the defense in the second half. We already talked about how they went really conservative. They weren't being very aggressive. He really stopped sending pressure. It was a lot of four men, um, four men rushing. It was a lot of soft coverage. It was a lot of leaving the middle of the field open. And unlike what happened with Tom Brady, where he was sitting and looking and waiting because of how deep they like to run their routes, Alex Smith was not even looking that deep, and he just kept dumping the ball off to whoever was across the middle of the field. There were a lot of open receivers that had you know, only caught the ball a few yards from the line of scrimmage that were able to pick up extra yardage. That's a big problem. I think that you need to transition and start to send pressure if you're not getting to the quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. I think Leonard Williams got a lot of credit for his game against Washington. But again, 4.7 seconds was the Giants' fastest sack. Uh, Last week, it was 4.9 seconds. That is a long time for a secondary to cover. And, you know, we said this a week ago, and we keep saying it because it just keeps being true. The Giants really have no way to rush the passer and get quick pressure right now. They can blitz. Patrick Graham does seem to be maybe a little bit hesitant to expose his secondary with blitzes in those situations. Yeah. And, you know, if they can't get that quick pressure or yeah, get that quick pressure and they're forcing their secondary to hold up for four, five, six seconds, that's double tough when you're sending a secondary player or a linebacker against the quarterback and you have just that many fewer coverage players. So they, fortunately, it worked out for the Giants. They were able to outlast Washington. But you know, against a quarterback like Alex Smith, who's going to take whatever you give him on defense, who he is going to be decisive, he's going to be accurate, he's going to set his receivers up for run after the catch opportunities, that is a risky strategy. And I will give Graham credit for eventually reacting to Washington's ability to pick up on what he was doing, it just took him a little bit too long. It was pretty much a majority of the second half that he was sticking to this this approach of asking the defensive line to create pressure, which they it was taking him too long to get back there because you know they just aren't an, an efficient group. They'll hit home when the when the time is there and, and when they can do it. But four guys is not enough to send with this group. Eventually, though, on those final two drives by Washington, the first interception was specifically because they sent pressure. But he finally said, all right, we need to hunker down. We need to do what was working. We need to go on the attack. We need to go after a guy that is not mobile, that thinks he is still mobile. So what they did is they they launched pressure in his face. And that led to him trying to throw a fadeaway shot that was then intercepted by Jabril Pepper. So that pressure is what should have been happening earlier. So I, I do want to give Graham credit for reacting and saying what's working, what was working earlier and what has worked in the past is not working right now. We're going to change up the approach. We're going to change up the, the, the play calling and we're going to go on the attack. We're going to force them into uncomfortable spots caused some some dysfunction for them offensively, and that really led to those those final turnovers. Chris, I also want to acknowledge the inability in, in, in throughout this game 
that I thought was very sloppy, something we haven't seen really this season as much, is the defense uh, for the is the defense being very shaky when reacting, pursuing, and tackling. There were a number of plays, and I'll and I'll high, highlight them in a second. There were a number of plays in this game where they allowed way too many extra yards to be picked up after um, you know like a simple ten yard. Uh, catcher or, or or just a short dump off. They allowed too much extra yardage because of a failure to pursue and a failure to properly tackle. Yeah, missed tackles were a problem in this game. Even uh, like Blake Martinez had a few missed tackles that really cost the Giants, allowed Washington to pick up yards they probably didn't deserve. Yeah, and part of that is Alex Smith being so good with his placement, which, you know, just as a football fan was, you don't want to see it against your team, but it's still kind of nice to see a guy who almost lost his leg, almost lost his life to an infection after that injury, come back and still be able to play. You know, just speaking at a human level, congratulations to Alex Smith for that. That is inspiring, honestly. But for, for the Giants, there are those are things they need to clean up. There, there are things we didn't see earlier in the year. Maybe, maybe it's a function of their weird schedule over the last month or so that just fatigue has built up because they're not able to be in a normal routine. But you're right. We did not see those sorts of plays, missed tackles, uh, Guys taking bad angles, not rallying to the ball the way we've become accustomed to seeing, and it almost cost them. Right. And the plays that I want to point to, there's three that are ingrained in my mind that properly illustrate what I'm trying to explain. So we saw J.D. McKissick almost score a touchdown at the beginning of the second half where he stepped out. Had he not stepped out, he would have scored a touchdown and if you watch the pursuing defenders on the Giants, they were way too slow to get to the ball, and they also just assumed that the play was dead. There was a lack of hustle and attack to stop the play where it was. Again, luckily, he just barely stepped out, so that wasn't a touchdown. The Terry McLaurin touchdown was a, a poorly pursued play, particularly by Logan Ryan, where everybody came up and they assumed that Terry McLaurin was going to get tackled, and then because he's so explosive and he's such a good athlete, he blew through those tackles and scored a touchdown. That's a play that can happen going against a receiver that is very dynamic. And then lastly, uh, Sims had a long reception because Jabril Peppers bit very hard on a fake by Washington. He came up field leaving a wide open long gain for Sims after Darnay Holmes uh, was sent on a blitz. So all that stuff is stuff that can't happen. You, It's okay to allow 5 to 10-yard passes, keeping things in front of you. But if you then allow those players that are getting the ball to pick up yardage that was not there and you're not rallying to the football, that's, that's how you give up games. That's how you give up leads is allowing huge explosive plays. That was a big thing for me, Chris. That was a big reason why I think Washington was able to get into this game and I, and I was noticing it throughout it, was that they were scoring really quickly and they were having some seriously big um, splash plays. Those, those can't happen. 
No, not especially not if you are playing the kind of defense the Giants were playing in the second half, where it was you know kind of a bend but don't break. Uh, wait for Washington to make a mistake, you know, force them to eat up the clock themselves type defense. And if you're going to do that, you need to be disciplined. You know, you need to have good communication, good awareness, be aware of your assignments. Don't over pursue. Don't run your own self out of position on that Sims catch and run. You know, Kudos to to Washington for the play design because that was a very well designed play, but Jabril Peppers can't let himself be drawn that far out of out of position. You can't have the defense basically shattering when you're trying to play bend but don't break. And you know, like you said, the McKissick touch, almost a touchdown. He was that was basically an inch to the right or an inch to the left, rather, of being a touchdown. If his foot comes down just a little bit inbounds, he runs it out. That's just all there is to it. Terry McLaurin's touchdown. Yes, he is an excellent receiver. He is very quietly one of the best receivers in the NFL right now. But when you have that many players around him, they can't all be thinking, well, the other guy's going to make the tackle. You know, they all have to rally to the ball. They all have to make sure they're in good position and not allow a missed tackle to turn into an explosive touchdown, which lets the opponent close the gap and do it in a, in a blink. That's going to be it from us folks. As you can tell from our perspective of this game, it's nice to earn a victory, but there are still some clear negatives because of what happened in the second half. They're going to need to clean those things up because they now have Philadelphia coming to town, a team that they almost beat that they were leading by a significant margin until they could not finish. This is another case where they need to step up and finish if they want to win two straight games. Folks, make sure you stay tuned. This upcoming week, we are going to be doing a review show of the halfway point of the season, breaking down things offensively, defensively, where we think this roster currently sits. So stay tuned for that episode. We will have that coming out to you very, very soon. Additionally, uh, go follow us on social media at Big Blue View. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon. You can follow Chris at RaptorMKII. Lastly, head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis.